out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Could you use a little company? Welcome back to hour two of WRSU here in New Brunswick. We are in hour two of the program tonight, and uh, what do you guys want to talk about right now? It looks, in mind? it looks like the the Titans just started. It's uh, thirteen twenty nine to go in the first uh, the first quarter. They got a first and ten. They're in the in the red zone though. The Titans, Chris. I don't know if you're watching, but they're uh, they're close. They're on the Buffalo sixteen. They got a first and ten there. So you know, you think Tennessee scores on this drive? Um. I guess maybe I haven't been watching, so I don't know. Um, uh, that'll be an interesting game to watch. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm really interested to see like how the Titans are going to respond to this matchup because um, we've seen talked about this so many times about how um, Josh Allen's going to rise to the occasion here. Um, you know, this Bills defense has got to shut down Derrick Henry. I think that's the main concern, but you know. We talked about this expectation-wise. What do you really see from that Bills defense? Because we don't really talk about the Bills defense too much in this game. No, and, and that's going to be the key factor, too. I mean, we talk about how good the Bills are on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you got guys like Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, and, of course, who could forget about Rutgers alum Tyler Croft at tight end. But uh, that defense is elite. Um, it's one of the best defenses I've seen in the AFC East in the last decade. Um, so I think that that's going to be really, honestly, I think as big, if not bigger of a challenge for the Titans to deal with, uh, than Josh Allen and the bills offense is that defense is not going to be easy to move around all night long. No, it's not. And I think that the, the thing we're really looking forward to, or I'm looking forward to is how Josh Allen's going to respond to the Titans. Right now, now it's a second down and 10. They're, they, I guess they had an incomplete passer or something, and no gain really, so they're on the Buffalo uh, 16 in that one. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, I think the Bills could be for real this season. Yeah, they look really yeah, good. Josh yeah. Allen, he, looks, he just looks lights out, like I said before. Uh, and he's just playing at an elite level of football right now uh, and against some quality opponents. So I mean, if they, it just seems like everything's clicking up in Buffalo right now. But you know, Tennessee out to a quick seven zero lead, with twelve forty five left in the first quarter. Yeah, def. Yeah, it's uh, Ryan Tannehill just hit um, Brown, um, AJ Brown for a score. Um, so it's seven nothing lead. They just got the PAT. Um, you know, sixteen yard pass on that one. So nice little start for Ryan Tannehill. That was his first completion too. Um, you know, so so far so good. A.J. Brown, 16 yards, first touchdown of the game. You know, good tone set for the Titans, Chris. I really think this is going to be key as how, you know, this quarterback duel is going to really manifest in this game. Yeah, uh, I'm really interested to see how Ryan Tannehill comes out against that Bills defense. He's a guy that, you know, he's sort of on the Gase Freedom Watch uh, list, along with guys like Kenyon Drake and others. Um, Jay like you name it. There have been a bunch of guys who have left Adam Gase and become vastly more productive, which is part of the reason why I'm not sold on, uh, you know, giving up on Sam Darnold. But again, that's a completely off topic thing. But Ryan Tannehill is now a Pro Bowl quarterback, which was really one of the big surprises of last year. And I'm interested to see what he does with this talented Titans offense. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, did you see Roger Goodell? Um, I think two hours ago they said that he uh, review of the Titans outbreak is about safety, not discipline, which is obviously very key, very important for the NFL. But you know, yeah. he's looking at this outbreak. We've seen the outbreaks that have happened in New England and Tennessee. Uh, the Vikings had to shutter practice because of uh because of that. We've seen this. You know, Cam Newton got COVID nineteen with the Patriots, and then Gilmore got it, and then uh, another player. You know. How is this good? What is going to happen in the NFL? Do you think they are going to shut down at all or maybe consider a bubble? No, 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 no. Neither of those things are going to happen. Here's how this is going to work. Um, over time, the NFL will get better and better at managing this. And they've played 98% of the games scheduled so far, even if they've had to uh, shuffle some things around. The only real major issue they had is with the Titans outbreak. And that was largely because they weren't following the protocols they were supposed to be following. So I think the NFL is going to learn from uh, the lessons that they've learned the past few weeks. I think they're going to apply that going forward in their planning and it's going to be fine. Like it's going to be like, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I think that, I mean, we might have a couple postponements here and there, but um, probably won't have too many major outbreaks like we saw in some college football leagues. Um, so I think it'll be largely okay. I think, the idea that they're just going to switch to a bubble is impractical for a couple reasons. One, there are way too many people to do it successfully just because, like, there's no way you could bubble 7,000 people, which is what you're talking about, given, you know, players, coaches, support staff, all that stuff. Um, and also, you know, just the players have no interest in doing it. Maybe they'll do it for, like, the latter part of the playoffs like MLB does, but – even that seems like a bit of a stretch to me. So I have a hard time seeing that really, uh, really happening, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think they want to, you know, keep going more. I want to think that that's the general uh, consensus for the NFL. I think college football, it's obviously a little bit trickier because all the guys are younger. So it's, um, you know, you got to deal with all these different, you know, the same kind of uh, situation with uh, the NFL, you know, Florida paused their team activities. It's interesting too, because this happened just after, the Florida coach, when they won, when they um, when they won over the weekend, he said his press conference. He's like, you know, he's going to work with uh, Governor Rob DeSantis to get fans in, and then this just happens uh, today. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting that how it, uh, you know, kind of what happened now. And now, you know, they had five new positive tests uh, after documenting only one positive case for Florida, the Gators uh, last week. So that'll be interesting. Another interesting uh, COVID nineteen storyline to follow in college football. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is. I didn't I did not know that. I I saw something about the Dolphins allowing up to full capacity or wanting it or something like that or the governor giving them the okay to to do full capacity. The governor but... said you can have as many fans at a sports venue as you want. Right. Uh the Dolphins were like, "No, we're good. We don't <laughs> want to cause a super spreader event." So that's how that's working. Eagles are allowing fans though. So that could be interesting for us cuz we're in the northeast now. Yeah, I I heard like they're gonna cap it off around seventy five hundred or something. It's not it's not too yeah. many, but at least it's something. And uh, Pittsburgh had fans last week, so um, against the Eagles, I think they were just waiting for the Eagles to get a home game. It's actually they said about yeah. fifty five hundred fans, which is not even a lot. I mean, that's not a lot at all for about approximately. Start tickets open up the Wednesday. Um, not every seat's gonna be filled when they play the Ravens when Lamar Jackson and Co come to town on Sunday. Um, 
At Heinz Field, when the Eagles played the Steelers, it was an announced crowd of uh, 4,708 people that socially distanced were in attendance at Heinz Field on Sunday. Um, and both Pittsburgh and Philly, because Pittsburgh also in Pennsylvania, they're both going to allow 7,500 fans, as they've been doing. Um, but the number of actual fans is likely to be capped off just uh, 2,000 below, so like 5,500. Um, and the Giants are going to have people for the Giants game on October 22nd. They'll most likely have fans for that one in just, you know, two Sundays. You're talking about Giants at Eagles? Giants at Eagles, yeah. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, um, I was I was going to be a little surprised that they were going to allow them at MetLife, but never mind. Okay, but but yeah, um, I mean, obviously at this point, I don't think that 5,500 people will make much of a difference No. in terms of quote-unquote home field advantage for these matchups. I, I think it's just... It's just to gain some more revenue here. I don't know. It's just I don't think I don't think it'll really help many of these teams. I think it's just for revenue. And the it's Eagles just... haven't even won at home yet. They're oh one and one. They had that tie and then they had the loss, so they haven't really uh, done much. Quick update on the Braves. It's two nothing Braves Dodgers uh, in the top of the fourth inning. So early lead for the Braves in that one. You know we'll see what happens uh, as that game um, progresses forward. I'm just trying to see who scored, and it's not letting me. Just trying to see who scored. I don't know if it was Freeman or Osuna. Um, it was Freeman, yes. It was Freeman who drove in Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, he homered to right, top of the fourth. They're up 2 nothing, and that's only their first hit of the game. Yeah, each team has one hit. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so, I mean, it just shows you a guy like Tony Gonsolin, you know, who filled in for Kershaw tonight, only one hit. I mean, he gave up the two-run homer, but he also has five strikeouts through three and a third, which is pretty good. Um, but, yeah, look at, I'm looking at Freeman's stats right now. He's batting in the regular season. He was batting three thirty-three, and with an OP, with an on-base percentage, or, excuse me, he was batting three forty-one, with which is third in the league, 13 homers, 53 RBIs, which is also third, and he had a, uh, basically over a thousand OPS, which is second, um, and I believe he had an over over four hundred on base percentage. I mean, this guy, he, I think he's gonna win NL NL MVP here. Everyone was saying Tatis in the beginning of the year. What do you What are your opinions on that, Chris? I want to hear what you have to say about that. I know, like we we talk about the Braves so much as Mets fans, but you know, Freddie Freeman's also seeking a contract extension too in this offseason. I think he's gonna get that. As a side note. I mean, he's played well enough to get it, so it wouldn't really surprise me if that's what happened. Um, Braves are going to be a problem for us going forward as Mets fans. Um, they've got some promising young talent. Um, they, they seem to really have their act together as an organization. It's it's going to be a difficult, um, difficult division to follow and, and to really compete in, but... Steve Cohen seems willing to completely overhaul the infrastructure, though. I don't know if you saw Schmied, but uh, in terms of our baseball operations department and a lot of other things involved in the Mets organization, there's going to be a complete overhaul. Yeah. He's also paying the wages of the city field workers who couldn't work this year because of the pandemic. So it looks like Steve Cohen so far is doing all the right things for this organization, both on and off the field. And I'm excited to see how he attacks his offseason, how they attack free agency and uh, see what the Mets can do. Yeah, I think, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, they do have a good nucleus with Syndergaard, DeGrom, 
Um, you know, you got, I think you got to give it to Cespedes or somebody like that soon because it's Conforto's is great there. Um, I mean, they have Todd Frazier, which is crazy. I mean, he, they brought him back because they, you know, they brought him back. But I just don't really see that, you know, being a long term. They got to get a, a long term solution um, there. I mean, you know, Jeff McNeil can play left. He can play third. Um, we've seen Dominic Smith switch over. I don't like that Cano um, is still at second because he's older. And um, I didn't like that. Uh, move from the start. I think Porcello's got to develop. He's got to fit more into it. J.D. Davis has been playing well. Um, but you just got to, you know, Rene Rivera. I'm not Rene Rivera. Um, you know, we'll see what happens at the uh, catcher spot, right? We've seen this a uh, little bit of a uh, a problem, you know, with Wilson Ramos and his uh, accuracy with picking off runners. So we'll, that's a really, you know, question mark there. I mean, you know, could you see Wilson Ramos leaving? I mean, although he's, that wouldn't, you know, I don't think they would buy him out. I don't know what to make of the whole Wilson Ramos situation, though, because, I mean, if the Mets let him go, who's going to step up in that catcher spot? Who do you think would be, like, the guy going forward? Well, I mean, you know, if it was, it would be, like, Thomas Nito, where I mean, he was sent back and forth between AAA and he was an injured assignment yeah, in double I, I do not, I do not feel good no. in this division, especially. I do not want Thomas Nito as my number one catcher heading into opening day. I'm sorry. Too late to get Darno back. Oh my gosh, I he's he's playing well with the Braves. <laughs> oh my God, it's like the Adam Henrique trade all over again. Yeah, exactly. Darno oh, is boy. like he's playing well. He's their cleanup hitter. He's he's been playing very well with um with the Braves. I mean, you know, he's gotten he's got he's on a hitting streak, like a four game hitting streak, uh, to close out the season or a ten game rather to close out the. The regular season, he's been playing very well, and he he fits right after Osuna, uh, in fourth, which is incredible. And then you've like it's a all star studded lineup of Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Osuna, and Darno from one to four. And then you know I didn't even think I would even consider Darno was batting like seven and eight, and like with the Mets now he's a cleanup hitter. Yeah, he's batting yeah. he's batting three twenty one. With uh, nine home runs and 34 ribbies this year for the Braves. Um, I feel like you guys should, with new ownership, and he's and he's publicly came out and he said that he's going to target these these big-name players because right. he's not afraid to you know give the paycheck up or you know spend a lot of money out of the wallet. You guys should go after Real Muto, no? Huh, that's interesting. I never thought about going after Real Muto. I mean, how much do you think he would ask for? What's his price? I mean, he's the best catcher in the league. Uh, I don't know how much he would ask for uh, specifically, but I would imagine it's going to be at least, at least probably twelve, thirteen a year, maybe more. I don't know. But as far as your catcher issue goes, you can you know you can move on from Ramos and not have to worry about a guy like Nito. Um, you can just go right after Real Muto, and maybe you. The selling point is you're like, hey, listen, we have the Grom. You know, we have we have Stroman and we have Syndergaard. We have all these great pitchers that you're going to be able to catch behind. Um, and we have an offense that just, you know, needs to be able to put it all together, and we can make a great run at this. I, I feel like that's you guys should give it a shot. I mean, I mean, why not? What's the what's the harm? I, the Yankees are, are going to do the same exact thing, I think. They're, they're thinking about, you know, possible options from Gary Sanchez and such. So I don't – I feel like that would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that could be interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at the Mets' averages, you know, right now, and uh, Dominic Smith hit 316. Chris, I didn't even know that Smith hit 316 in the regular season, but 
you know, he hit more better I than mean, Rosario. Granted, yeah, I mean, granted, it is a short season, so you can't fully extrapolate right. with the numbers. But by that same token, while we're talking about the first base spot, Peter Alonso started off slow, but he picked up the pace in the last few weeks of the season. And, you know, the storyline is that he had a very down year. And I guess technically that's true. But when you're talking about a 60 game sample size, you know, from what I saw from Pete Alonso the last couple of weeks of the season, I think if it was a full year, it would have been, oh, we started off slow and then he was fine down the way. So I think Peter Alonso is probably, you know, if they keep, are they going to keep the universal DH or is that like going to be gutted? Do we know about that at all? I think that was just the 2020 um, thing for the shortened season, but I would love to see that okay. become a thing. I think it should be a thing. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because the reason why I say it is ideally for the Mets, the best case scenario, if that were the case, is you could have Dom Smith at first base and then Alonzo, who isn't as good defensively as he is offensively, uh, slide to the DH spot. I mean, that, that would be the best case scenario for the Mets because otherwise – you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to make a decision and figure out where you're gonna how you're gonna handle that uh, competition between Alonzo and Dom Smith. Yeah, I mean the games you saw Yohannes Cespedes play this year where he was healthy, well not healthy but he was playing. Um, the fact that they were just able to have that DH spot and not you know have to force him to play left field where I'm sure he's not very good out there and it's a liability. So I, I feel like they should just do a universal DH. Uh, there's no point in putting a pitcher up to the plate when it's an it's, it's an automatic out essentially. Uh, I mean, I get it. A home run every three years is fun to see, but I I just don't I just don't see the point in uh, in having that. Uh, and it creates more more jobs for people like you know like a guy like Stanton. If he wasn't on this long deal with the Yankees and all the the fielding problems he's had, you know that takes out 15 teams because you can't DH for half the league. So he it's for it's. It's forcing him to look at only half of the league as opposed to the whole league in terms of you know where to play, and that could work for anyone like Stanton and in, in his position of playing. Um, but I just read, I just looked it up. They're saying that Ramilto could be looking at possibly more than twenty three mil a season. By yeah, you because know, I it says that in twenty eleven, um, they were saying that twenty three million dollars a year was something something with Remuto setting a record, but they were saying that because of the 2021 market standards that that they would be they're predicting that his yearly pay would be more than 23 million a season. So I'd have to ask you, Chris or Jake, whoever wants to answer. What do you what do you think spending that much money a year on a catcher is worth it for the Mets, or do you think they should just look elsewhere? I feel like you need more uh, it, it, you need more assets. I mean, I feel like you need to get first of all, Cespedes is irking a, eking up a lot of that uh that cap. I mean, you know, he hasn't really, you know, produced a little bit as well. The universal DH rule would have been amazing if Cespedes was a little bit younger and he could hit a little bit more. He's not as agile as he was. I was actually looking up while you were talking about that, Dylan, and it says that the MLB um in one of their proposals, they actually did include a universal DH for the twenty twenty one season as well. Um and all those talks and all the so many 60-page, 70-page proposals they did all the way back in June uh, before there was a season, before we, we didn't even think there was going to be a baseball season at that time. Um, so, I mean, they very well could put that back in. There's a lot of uncertainty with that, especially with the CBA agreement. Um, we know how, uh, Chris, we talk about this a lot when we did our remote shows uh, before we were let back in studio about all the 
the, the intricacies of the details of the MLB contracts and all that and, you know, what's going to happen now when they're losing viewers and stuff to the NBA. But, you know, back to the Mets, I think, it, you know, it's, it, we'll see what, um, what the new ownership group wants to do. I think that they kind of want to get – they got to get rid of these guys like Frazier and Cespedes, and they got to find, you know, quality over quantity. They have a lot of outfielders. Getting rid of Lagares, although, you know, he had – he won a Golden Glove, but that was years ago, over four years ago, and that's kind of not the way the direction the Mets want to go. And I really like Conforto, J.D. Davis. Uh, Conforto batted 322, uh, which is good in this shortened season. He had, you know, 12 doubles. Um, which is good for him. He's not really a guy who gets a lot of doubles, frankly, but, you know, we'll see what happens if they have, you know, whatever this given the season's uh, circumstances next year. So I, I also look up... Gonna be, sorry, go, go ahead, Chris. I, I was just going to say, this is probably going to be the most interesting offseason in, that the New York Mets have had in a while with yeah. this new ownership. I, I expect them to be very active as active as, you know, we can expect given the circumstances in free agency. And it should be interesting to see what this team looks like come April. Yeah, since you both are Mets fans, I was I was just going to ask you a question. Um, this past year, Syndergaard, he signed a one-year deal to avoid arbitration this year with the Mets. I forgot about that. So, so, so do you think that he is worth re-signing? One. Two, do you think they will? And how much do you think they're going to have to pay him if in order to keep him? I completely forgot about that, but Chris, I want to hear your thoughts about this. I know you're a big Thor guy. Yeah, he's getting paid uh, roughly around ten million this year, and then and then yeah. that's it. This year is in 2020 or 2021. This year, as in, so in at January 10th of 2020, he signed a one-year deal with the Mets. Oh, okay. uh, for, right, to avoid right. arbitration. Right before he was injured too, and he couldn't make opening day. I think I think you have to resign him. I yeah, think you have to. Because, like, think about it. Who are they going to get to replace his production, especially after they traded Wheeler to the Phillies? And no more Steven Matz, right? Correct? Or do you guys still have uh, Matz? He, he's still there. Do we still have Matz? Yeah, we I do. think he's, yeah, but, you know, we have guys like Porcello and, like, Stroman. You know, Stroman got hurt. And it was Fire Porcello into the sun. Yeah, yeah. We're done with he Porcello. He was abysmal. And all, all the, he, and he was touted as supposed to be this great, like, pitcher coming to the Mets. He didn't do anything. Great pitcher, like yeah, okay. six seven ERA. <laughs> he had one good year, and he won That's Cy it. Young, and that was it. Could be like Ryan Tannehill, maybe. If Ryan Tannehill was just tanking more, it would be like that kind of situation. But like, Rick I don't know. Porcello what... in twenty twenty is like worse than my fantasy team. Like <laughs> it, it was bad. For the record, Dylan, I'm one in five, and I lost uh, my this week's matchup by forty five points. So to uh, give you an idea of what I think of Rick Porcello. I would take Bartolo Colon over Rick Porcello. And that's not even just for the hits of, and the funny uh, the funny uh, antics that he has. Oh, my God. I would take Bartolo Colon, not even for baseball, just to hang out with him for a day. Oh, seems like that would be something. A lot of fun. I feel like he would have, like, so much to say. And I, want, I would love to see him just run. That was funny when that video <laughs> went viral of him on that home run. I mean, it's like, I mean, that'd be like watching me run. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go very well. Yeah, but this is Bartolo Colon. You know, yeah. he's he's something. I mean, I still can't believe that he had that little career at the Mets and he did a lot. Like, that was, you know, he's got to get his jersey retired now. The flushing fridge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> put it on the fridge and put it in the, in the East River or something. I don't know. Put it at the airport where all the planes hover around. 
I, I think I think that we could do a lot better for Bartolo Colon than LaGuardia Airport. JFK. JFK. They should get a they should get All a right, statue we, outside the stadium and just have a Bartolo yes, Colon yes, statue. Yes. They should name a parking lot after him. Yeah, like <laughs> Lot G instead of take out Lot G. It'll be it. like it'll be like how college football was invented in uh, Lot 29 in New Brunswick behind the student center and no one knows about it. Yeah, there's just that little placard there. That's it. And it's like falling apart too. Like it's not. Even yeah, it's like, not held together that's very the best well. You guys can do. That's where we'll put the Greg statue after they win five national championships. Oh yeah, <laughs> but that'll be up much more to par. Yes. Imagine. Uh, all right, this is like completely off topic. Imagine if the football, if like in an alternate like timeline, like okay. there was a full the football stadium and the basketball arena were both on College Avenue, or, or like in between College Avenue and Easton. Can you imagine how lit game day would be? Well, parking would be horrible, first of all, but who cares about parking, right? Oh, well, forget the parking. It would be an <laughs> awesome atmosphere. You're, you're, uh, this guy's here worried about the parking. Like, what, For what us media care? guys. Take the bus there anyway. Yeah, we'll just walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, But, but Shmeet, if it was on College Avenue, we would walk to the game. That's true. That's we true. We need to drive. That would be just incredible. I mean, if they could just, like, do that. If, if they could, like, in an alternate universe, right, we see Rutgers, you know, that would be, like, a college game day environment, kind of. Especially if you have two games, maybe like they just, do, like, a doubleheader. Yeah, like, Geo just hits a step-back three for the win, and then everyone hits up Easton Ave. Like, that would just be ungodly. Yeah, that would—I feel like that would draw even more people, even though they sold out a lot, most of the majority of their games last year. I like the – you guys should look at this sometime. Uh, there were plans drawn up like nine years ago or so uh, to expand the rack from like 8,000 to 12,000 by tearing down the old concourse, building up uh, like an opposite section to the student section, and then building a new like lobby like on that field in between uh, Olivia Apartments and the arena as that motorcycle drives by the student center. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was um, very loud to get on air. Yeah, because Mr. It, Tough. the windows are open, Schmid. Mr. Tough. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think I think I heard about this plan. But like, imagine the sound coming from all four sides, especially if the one uh, end of the court has like four thousand people. Oh wow! Like think like it's a loud building now. Like you would have to wear ear protection to go to a Rutgers basketball game. That's how loud it would get. Nobody would want to play there. Like if you're Michigan or Ohio State. It would be That's like the point, Schmied. It'd be like it'd be like, it'd be exactly like the Cameron the Indoor Stadium, but like better, like kind of. I could see I mean, that. We're already, yeah, yeah. I it's mean, already better than Cameron Indoor. Be Rutgers, yeah. Then that you would attract cool. opponents like Duke or UNC or something like that. I mean, you know, do you think we'll see that? Like, you know, ACC Big Ten showdown of like Rutgers Duke or something like that. I mean, because obviously Duke's playing like Michigan or Duke's playing like Ohio State kind of matchups. I mean, I doubt it. They've been playing teams like Miami for the majority. Louisville. Yeah, they haven't been really playing these top AC. I mean, they're still good programs, don't get me wrong, but not like the UNCs or the Dukes of the conf of the conference. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hang on. Let me pull up the if, the schedule here. Let me see if they're gonna who they're going to play. I think they heard a rumor it was going to be Syracuse, but uh, the Bills just tied it up to switch over to football. Um, McKenzie caught a pass from Josh Allen at 7-7. Um, three-yard touchdown pass. They got about four four minutes, three seconds to go in the first quarter. 
So that's interesting. So a little bit back and forth for uh, Tuesday night football. You said McKenzie scored uh, a pass, I assume? Yeah, McKenzie caught a uh, a pass from Josh Allen. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, He's okay. a fifth rounder, 2017 draft. I didn't even, I completely forgot he was on their team. Uh, but yeah, Stefan Diggs is leading the team with 28 yards. Hasn't caught a touchdown pass yet. Uh, Josh Allen leading the Bills with seven rushing yards. Devin Singletary's got one. Derrick Henry only has two yeah, so far. Two carries for two yards. That's uh, not what I, not what I was expecting. No. Um, but I'm sure that'll change soon. But um, so what should I call it? Let's let's talk about let's talk about some more football with the Bills and the Titans here. So it's tied at seven. Um, and it is almost the end of the first quarter here. Do your opinions change based off of the current situation of the game, or do you still think that the the Bills are going to win by double digits, Chris? Um, I still think the Bills are going to win pretty healthily. I think it's uh, I, I think it's hard to judge based on a relatively small sample size. I mean, look at the uh, Charger Saints game. Like after the first quarter, I believe it was six to three. Right. If I'm not mistaken, that was a score and it ended up being, you know, 30 to 27. So um, I think it's a bit too short, small of a sample size to really say. Um, Yeah, I'm so confident that the Bills will win this game, though. Yeah, yeah, I I think so, too. I mean, they're tied right now, but that can definitely change. Um, Monday Night Football next week, they're playing. They're hosting uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So uh, that's interesting. That'll be, uh, you know, primetime spotlight again uh, for Buffalo. And next Monday, as of now, they're doing a doubleheader at 5 o'clock right now. They're doing the Chiefs and Bills. And then at 8.15, it's Cardinals at Cowboys um, in that one because that was one of the they, – they had to move around the New England game, and they moved this one up. Um, and then New England's the bye week, um, of course. So they have that. Um, so that'll be interesting. Next Monday, it'll be interesting. You have some good quality games, especially Cardinals and Cowboys, um, who are very similar records, too. And, of course, that was, you know, Andy Dalton playing. It'll be Dalton against Murray. And then you get Josh Allen against Patrick Mahomes, and Mahomes is coming off that that eight-point loss to Las Vegas. Uh Chris, do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Because I was watching that game, and they they switched that the Jets game, and they switched that for the Chiefs game, um, and then the Raiders won. And Derek Carr had, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs had that run that got them the lead, and then it just looked like Derek Carr he had a little bit more of a little bit more throwing opportunities than Patrick Mahomes. He had more yards. Yeah, I mean the Raiders looked really good in that game. Like I, I, I mean. They've kind of been like the surprise team. I mean, we knew they weren't they were going to be okay, but I don't think anyone saw them dropping forty on the Chiefs. And they're what three and two now after five weeks. Like, that's pretty good. So, I mean, they've beaten they've beaten yeah. New Orleans, the Chiefs, and the Panthers. And the Panthers have looked actually pretty good this year, even with McCaffrey out for most of this year. Um. Mike Davis has turned into a uh, a pretty good looking running back for the for the Panthers here. He's kind of looked like a, a Christian McCaffrey 2.0 so far, and Robbie Anderson too, having a very so as Jets fans, 
How does how does that make you guys feel about Robbie Anderson, you know, putting up these kind of numbers now? Well, I'm a big Giants fan, but I got to say my dad's a Jets fan, so I was watching the Jets-Cardinals game with him, and he's like, man, if we had Robbie Anderson, we would have beat Arizona. And I think, you know, he w- they would have because a- Arizona's a little bit weaker uh, defensively. Um, but the Bills and the Raiders, right, the Raiders lost by a score to the Bills on October 4th. It was 30-23 to 23 Bills in that one, and it was 17-13 at halftime. And then the Raiders, they uh, they tacked on. They were down by one going into the fourth quarter. They just collapsed in the fourth. They were go- down, I think it was 17-16 going into the fourth. And that's incredible. And what happened in the fourth, you had Josh Allen with the rushing touchdown of like 11 seconds into the fourth quarter. And then Devin Singletary, three minutes later, they're, what that tells me is that they're not, they're de- they're not getting the ball down the field enough because they obviously punted or a turnover or something happened between – 14-49 opening quarter of the fourth, and then 11-17 when Singletary scored. And I feel like they've like kind of made up for that mistake now when they beat Patrick Mahomes and they limited the Chiefs in that one. I mean, Patrick Mahomes still had an incredible game, as he always does. He rushed 40 yards, two touchdowns, but he threw a pick. And that was interesting. That's very un-Patrick Mahomes-like, um, especially against the Raiders. But they have a very good defense, and that was his first pick of the season, too. Yeah, I thought that was a, a pretty good, pretty impressive performance by uh, Derek Carr, who has raised a lot of, you know, question marks over the years. Where he had that really good year, they went twelve and four. Yeah, and then they fell off the wagon ever since then. And you know, his injury too. Yeah, the, the injury. I, I just don't think he ever came back from that. But for what it's looking like this year, even though they lost that game against Buffalo, he still threw for three hundred yards and two touchdowns that game, um, and only lost by a touchdown. And, you know, games against the Saints this year, he played, he balled out against the Saints. He out threw Drew Brees. He, he had 284 yards and three touchdowns that game. Um, so, you know, the, so we knew with the Raiders, running the ball was not going to be an issue. Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs is an absolute stud. Um, and their line has actually been able to block and do well for the pass and run game. It was just, I think the question marks were all about Derek Carr and if he would perform like he did in that 12 and 4 season or if he if he would perform like he has been the past couple years and I think this year he's been showing us that he's he's playing back to that 12 and 4 Raiders team. I mean and even this week when he played Kansas City, 347 yards, three touchdowns and one interception. He outplayed Mahomes who had two touchdowns and an interception. Um I think Mahomes also had a rushing touchdown, so maybe they were played very similar, but I it just shows you that like I think both Parts of that offense are clicking now, and it's showing you know what John Gruden can do in a system where the quarterback's playing at an elite level and the run game is going. And the defense has a couple question marks. They've given up a lot of points. You know they gave up thirty six to Cam Newton and the Pats, thirty to the Bills, thirty two to the Chiefs, thirty twenty four to the Saints, and thirty to the Panthers. So a lot of a lot of issues defensively, but the offense is not has surprised me this year. I don't know about you guys, but. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. I mean, I want to go back to that 2016 season. That was, I remember, broken fibula uh, fracture when he was sacked by Trent Cole of the Colts in Week 16. That was the Christmas Eve matchup. I remember watching that, and it was such a gruesome, another gruesome injury for him. And then that summer in the offseason, he signed a five-year, $125 million uh, contract for 2017. You know, he kind of came back a little bit. It was slow, but they didn't really play well. Um in, they were six and ten. They missed the playoffs 2017, 6 and 10, 2018. They were four and twelve. 
Uh, they didn't really. They and then last year they're seven and nine, so they were making strides since he got injured. Every year they got incrementing incrementally better, and they improved. And I think this year, you know, there's a lot of questions about John Gruden if he was going to stay. Um, but you know, a lot of that the losses the past two seasons, three seasons since 2016. Could be, you know, him kind of getting back to form. A broken fibula is almost like an ACL tear. It's very hard to come back from that. We're going to see how Christian McCaffrey and how Saquon Barkley, Bosa, Joey Bosa, how they're going to come back from these hard season-ending stuff. Dak Prescott, because it's a lot of injuries in this season already. Um, Garoppolo still was a little shaky when they lost to the Dolphins, which I was surprised by. I thought he was going to come back to form with the 49ers on Sunday. But, you know, Raiders are an interesting story. And that division with the Raiders, with the Chiefs, um, the Broncos, you know, forget about the Broncos, Raiders, and Chiefs. It's going to be interesting all the way. And the Texans, they're not really Texans in another divi- another division. They're not they're a lost cause too. So it's not like the Raiders would face off against the Texans. They've had some good battles over the years too. Yeah, like the Chargers, they're in that division too. And you know, Herbert has shown us how how he can play. I mean, if it wasn't for Michael Badgley last night, he missed a game winner. They should have won that game in New Orleans. And you know, he only loses by a touchdown to Tampa Bay on the road. I, I think Justin Herbert, I think that division has slowly become one of the best in the league, you know, with Mahomes and Andy Reid with the Chiefs. All of a sudden now, Derek Carr, John Gruden, they're becoming they're becoming something to watch out there in Las Vegas now. And I think Herbert, you know, who wasn't even supposed to start this year, has has shown us, you know, what he can truly do. Um, now, with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams there, he has, and Hunter Henry, he has a lot of targets to throw to, which is obviously a big help. Um, but, I mean, he's shown us that he can play at a high level, too. And almost, I think he threw four touchdowns last night. He outthrew Drew Brees. And it, it kind of just, as a Giants fan, it sickens me because that was the guy we were looking at to get when um, it was time to get a run, when it was time to get a quarterback. And I believe it would have been the year where we drafted Saquon with all those quarterbacks that went top 10. I remember Dave Gettleman saying Justin Herbert was our guy. He was looking, you know, he was really high on Justin Herbert, but Justin Herbert decided to go back for his fourth year at school and get his degree. Um, you know, and ultimately we, now we have Daniel Jones, but it just as Herbert a Giants looks fan, like a steal at six. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he does. And you look at that matchup. You know, the Brees had to rally to come back to bring it to overtime. The Chargers they were up twenty to ten uh, at the, at halftime. And then they were up uh, twenty to thirteen in the third quarter, and then the Saints got two scores. But if they didn't, if they hadn't, you know, Taysom Hill had that uh, that touchdown uh, earlier with the Saints, where he caught it um, from Breeze, and I like that they've used that um, Hill as a wideout or a running back. They've used him as the quarterback. He's slated as they've used him in the system. And if it were not for that, you know, Mike Williams before he had a sixty-four yard pass from Herbert that was a touchdown that kind of gave them that you know, that extra little sliver of padding. And Herbert, four touchdowns, no picks, 264 yards. Not a bad day at all for uh, Justin Herbert, especially with Austin Eckler out too. But, you know, he could be back in four or five weeks or so. And he looks so poised with the football too. Like when you watch Justin Herbert play, you know, if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't realize that this was a rookie quarterback. That's true. Uh, And I think that extra year at Oregon – went a long way towards that. He's really cool under pressure. It helps that he has maybe not a great offensive line, but he has weapons to throw to. It's not like he's being thrown on a complete rebuild project like Joe Burrow, who, by the way, has also been fantastic. Not that that's a surprise to anyone. Um, 
and the Bengals are a bit further behind in their rebuild than the Chargers are, but uh, that's a whole nother discussion. But he, he seems so calm making decisions. He goes through his progressions. He makes those throws. I mean, he had, you know, a bit of a miscue at the end of the game with that one throw uh, to I'm trying to I'm blank on the exact play, but there was one or two passes where he missed a little bit. But for the most part, his decision making looks pretty good for a rookie. He's got the arm to compensate. He's mobile. He can get out of the pocket when he needs to. Uh, there's a lot about Justin Herbert that I like, and I think he's sort of blown me away even in terms of how good he's been. Right. I mean, if you look at the games this year that he's played, outside of their one, they're one in four right now, outside of their one win against Cincinnati on the road, which is where Tyrod Taylor played, he has gone up against teams like the Chiefs, Panthers, Buccaneers, and the Saints. Yet he's lost all four, but that Chiefs game, it went into overtime and they lost by three points. And he threw for 300 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and he had a rushing touchdown. The game against the Panthers, they lost 21-16. to He had 330 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And he had 15 rushing yards. I mean, and then you look at the Buccaneers game where, you know, he had 290 yards. He completed 20 of 25 for three touchdowns and an interception. And he, and he led the team in rushing with 14 yards. And then, you know, obviously the game last night where he threw four touchdowns, no picks, he's looked really, really good. And these and these teams that he's lost against are no no jokes in the league here. These are playoff teams, Saints playoff team, Buccaneers playoff team, Chiefs reigning Super Bowl champions. I mean, this is you know he's playing high quality football right now against some really good opponents, and it looks pretty promising for the Chargers right now. Yeah, it does, and I think the Chargers, you know, Anthony Lynn has put them in a good position. They are one and four, but they haven't played like a one and four team. They lost a close game to the Saints. They lost another one score game to the Buccaneers. On Sunday, actually, all of their losses have been close. They lost the Chiefs by three on September 20th. Then they lost to the Panthers by five the next week. And then they lost. They've been on a four-game losing streak, but all of those have been, like, one score or less for the most part. Right. Um, Anthony Lynn has this team going in the right direction. They then you know, they moved on from Phillip Rivers. He knew Tyrod Taylor wasn't going to be the guy. I mean, the horrible situation would happen when they ruptured his lung and the, the misejection. But I think that they kind of knew going in the long haul that Justin Herbert's their guy. That's why they got him at six. And as Chris said, he's looking like a steal at number six. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of Miami fans are sitting there. You know, obviously there's nothing to go off of for Tua now because he hasn't played yet. But they're probably sitting there going, damn, should we have should we have drafted this guy? I don't, he, I don't know. He's looked really good. I, I, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Do you think Miami's starting to regret a little bit, or you think they just need to see Tua a little bit more? Well, I think the plan was always to sit Tua, um, which kind of surprised me at the time. But, I mean, Fitzpatrick, uh, say what you want about him. Right now, he seems to be playing pretty well. So I think they're going to ride that as long as they can. Uh, but Fitzpatrick is notoriously inconsistent. I think that when we see Tua, he's going to be the guy that we thought he was going to be. Uh, but I think the Dolphins have decided to value experience in the short term. And, hey, they're two and three right now, which is all in all not horrible considering where that roster was last year. So I, th I think that uh, the Dolphins are an intriguing team to watch in the AFC East. Um, I, I think if Tua is as good as we think he is, um, the AFC East could be one of the best quarterback divisions if either Sam Darnold gets uh, back in a groove 
or if, you know, they end up drafting Trevor Lawrence, which seems more and more likely. Um, as bad as the AFC East has been, they're going to be pretty stacked at the quarterback position on all four teams um, if Tua turns out to pan out the way that we think he will. And we are back here for rapid fire last seven or so minutes on the WRSU crew, Jake Schmid, Dylan Allen, and Chris Sakonis here. And guys, we missed a, a couple of things. And Chris, the first thing I'm going to talk to you about, I really wanted to mention this on air, but I forgot about it. Um, but Cristiano Ronaldo has tested positive for COVID-19, but he is currently asymptomatic. He's self-isolating. Um, the Portuguese uh, Football Federation announced today he's going to miss their Nations League match against Sweden tomorrow afternoon. All other players on the national team uh, returned negative results. What's your take on this for soccer? Well, obviously, hopefully uh, Cristiano stays healthy and uh, nothing bad happens to him or really anyone with this disease. But um, here's something that I find interesting. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this either, Schmid. Um a lot of players have tested positive for COVID uh, in European soccer, but it's always stayed at like one or two. Like we haven't had yeah. really that many outbreaks. Um, so it sort of calls into question, you know, if uh, soccer, and I know they're not the same sport, but if soccer is, you know, playing their games and getting them all in, despite, you know, the occasional player positive here or there, even while the continent goes through a quote unquote second wave, uh, then. You know, why is college football, why are the NFL, uh, you know, being more prone to disruption? So I find that a very interesting comparison. Um, but, you know, it's full steam ahead for European soccer. And um, uh, interesting to see how this unfolds as we get into the winter. Um, but, you know, hopefully uh, Cristiano and anyone else who tests positive is okay. And um, games keep coming. Yeah, and I'm looking at the little blurb they have about Ronaldo, and they said he was uh, he was seen. He took a team photo of the, him dining with the team. They were close next to each other. They were out at a restaurant. Um, they played against uh, Spain and France, and it's amazing that nobody has come up yet because there were people sitting next to him. They were not. They were at, like a long table at a long restaurant table with like seats like ten to fifteen, like a large group. Why are you going to a restaurant when you have a game? Yeah, that's the first thing. Like, during during a pandemic when the cases are what they are like why i didn't even see that that's yeah that's not smart like come on and yeah and like wow. you saw Kylian mbappe got it uh earlier as well and he had to miss a couple uh uh french uh liga uh, uh, matches as well so it's interesting too we'll see what kind of you know what happens with soccer but you're right not a lot of uh players have gotten it um Here's something interesting on the basketball side of things. The New Orleans Pelicans are interviewing Stan Van Gundy for their head coaching vacancy, according to Woj. He's a you know he's television analyst. He was the head coach of the Pistons, just came off of calling the NBA Finals with Mike Breen and Mark Jackson, and now uh, he was head. He's in the mix for the Pelicans. Uh, LA Clippers assistant coach uh, Tyrone Liu will reportedly meet with Pelicans officials later this week uh, regarding the head coaching gig. As well, and Lou is also tied to the Rockets' coaching vacancy. What do you make of this carousel so far? Well, first off, I, I think that Stan Van Gundy is probably the best coach still on the market. 
Right. Although I would hate to see him leave the broadcast booth so soon because of how good he was on TNT during the bubble. He was but, phenomenal. Um, yeah. That being said, in terms of who the Pelicans should hire if they want to build themselves up into a contender with guys like Zion, uh, I don't think it's a question. You have to hire Stan Van Gundy. He's a guy that's always been able to get his most, get the most out of his roster. And if you're, especially if you're a young team, I think Stan Van Gundy's the way to go. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, because, you know, we, you know, he was, he did a really good job. Like, I mean, I think Mark Jackson, wasn't he also in the mix? I think we talked about this too with the Indiana Pacers, like I think in early September, mid-September um, as well. And he's a good analyst too. Uh, that's that's interesting uh, to see. Um, LeBron James took aim at his critics after winning his fourth titles and also his fourth finals MVP. He posted him with his smoking his cigar on Instagram. Uh, he said, you know, what they going to say now? I know they'll make up another criteria that nobody else has ever had in the history of the game. But guess what, though? Bring it on, please. Filled with a lot of emojis and all that. Um, what do we think about this? How people have, you know, comparisons between LeBron and Jordan have dominated headlines, especially with the last dance being produced as well, being uh, uh, put, produced and published now during uh, the stay-at-home order as well in the summer. I mean, I think he has a, a good reason to be upset in a sense because in his eyes he probably – he thinks he's the goat, and he he just thinks everyone it's it's him against everybody basically. Right, and I get that. And so then, when you win your fourth finals and your in your fourth finals MVP, uh, I mean it's just kind of just like the perfect time to show off a little bit. But I still think MJ is the goat, um, regardless of LeBron winning this championship. Chris, what do you think of this? Because he is two rings away from tying Michael Jordan, who had those three peats as well with the Bulls in the nineties. I was talking about it yesterday. I, I think that um, I think Jordan is the better overall player, but I think that LeBron is the better athlete, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, too. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, as LeBron. He turns 36 in the winter, um, so we'll see what happens with how his title hopes go. Uh, but we are out of time here on the WRSU crew. Jake Schmid, uh, for Dylan Allen and Chris Akonis, I'm Jake Schmid.